We wanted to talk about an important project by friend of the show, Sharice Morris. Visions of Evolution, The Revolution Will Be Magical is a film and a ritual. It's a prayer, a spell, and an invocation that opens us all to the transformations we need to make to bring forth the revolution that will birth a more just, loving, and equitable future. Visions of the Evolution is more than a performance or film project. It is a space of communion where we can transcend the boundaries of the world around us and, regardless of spiritual background, practice, or tradition, come together in service of our healing and the creation of a world worth living in. It is a space where we can freely and openly imagine the world of our dreams. It is a space where art and healing directly connect and align. This project creates space for us to imagine what a just, free, loving, equitable, and affirming world feels like for all people, especially for our communities that have been the most historically oppressed, for Black people, for queer, trans, and non-conforming people, for Indigenous people, for working class people, and for poor people. Their goal is to raise $30,000 by May 18, 2022. Any amount is appreciated, but $15 or more will grant you access to prayers, oils, and Reiki sessions. For more information, check out Sharice's Kickstarter in the show notes. Hoodoo Plant Mamas Get your soul fed and your spirit red This here is a trend I possess the power from way back when Back when folks were stripped from all of their kin So they had to find the magic within Ancestors and gather my herbs I conjure at my altar Hoodoo Plant Mama manifest growth and I release trauma. Child, we just out here trying to water our plants and mind our business, you know? Everybody from the deep south, man. Everybody can have culture like us. Hey y'all, and welcome back to our season finale. I am one of your co-hosts, Leah Nicole. And I'm Danny B. And before we get started today, Danny B, how has your week been? My week has been pretty good. I defended my thesis and I passed, so all I have to do is submit it to the graduate school, and then I'm done. As far as that, um, the after I defended, I went out with some people in my department and got on some margs, margaritas, um, and half an eddy. <laughs> so it was great. It was beautiful. It was fabulous. <laughs> And you deserved it. (laughs) Yes. You know, yes, I did. What about you? Um, This has been a pretty good week. I actually started, so I am a new uh, fellow for the Women's National Book Association. They have an authentic voices program. I'm a new fellow. (laughs) Congrats. Thank you. And so I'm very excited. Um, Over the summer, I have to take classes once a week and we learn more about storytelling and the publishing industry and how to get published. So I'm hopeful that this will help me be an author one day, but I'm excited about it. Cool. Well, what are you grateful for this week? You know, I am honestly grateful for this entire month. Historically, (laughs) Uh, April has not been a very good month for me, but this month, when I started off just feeling terrible uh, because my body kept the score, I was just like, no, we're not going to have a bad month this month. We're going to, 
we're not going to deal with these problems anymore. And so I've been, I've made a lot of breakthroughs. I've gotten a lot of inspiration. There's been so much creativity going on this month. And I just have been so grateful for that. I love that. I am thankful for being done with my graduate school work. But I'm also thankful for the nudge after nudge after nudge my ancestors have been giving me. And I'm also, <laughs> I actually listened to LaVon's uh, Sensual Sunday um, sermon today. And I actually hopped in just at, a right, at the right time. That was beautiful and I'm thankful for it. Something that uh, LaVon said in the sermon was that like your ancestors and God like they are not holding a grudge against you. They are not, you know, just because you may fall short or something like they're not holding that against you. And I needed that because I've been feeling so much shame. It's been so long since I've had a like consistent practice of going to my altar. I actually just rebuilt my altar, but I'm doing the elevation ceremony. So right now we're still low, low on the floor, (laughs) but Yeah. And it felt so good. Like I just kind of purged all what I was feeling last night. And so I'm just thankful to give myself grace and get back into venerating my ancestors consistently and and get back to like healing myself and our lineage and not running and that kind of thing. So yeah, that was really long, but (laughs) no, that was really good. Well, today we're going to talk about like inner child, inner child healing. So I did some reading on different ways psychologists define it. And what I got from it was that your inner child is like your unconscious mind that makes up both your positive and negative life experiences. And it manifests in our adult life through certain thought patterns and behaviors. We focus on the negative a lot. Um, I think there are positive and negative attributes that can come from that inner child. For those of us that may have experienced a lot of trauma in childhood, it often manifests as like these wounds that come out when we're triggered, Um, particularly in relationships with having attachment issues, abandonment issues, that kind of thing. So with inner child work or healing, this is usually the act of like addressing those childhood wounds. Typically with a therapist, you don't have to do it with a therapist, um, but there are therapists that help and guide people through doing that work. And they consider it like a trauma-informed strategy. Yeah, so I think, I'm sure there there are books that you can read that probably go a little bit more in depth, but that's essentially like a condensed explanation of what that is. I love our episode that we had with Hari Ziad about um, misaphropedia and inner child work. And they talked about hoodoo being an important part of their inner child work. I know in their book, they talked about um, going to see a therapist and some things were helpful, some things weren't. But hoodoo was really helpful in their inner child journey, mainly because time is not linear because of that, we always have access to our childhood and we are always that same child. Um, So kind of like what you said earlier, our childhood experiences continue to impact our adulthood because we are still that child living in this adult world. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) a question I have is 
who did you want to be as a child and what did you want to do and how has that changed for you in adulthood? Yeah, I love this question. So one of the things that I miss from childhood is my imagination. Um, And I think I'm slowly getting back to it, but it's hard. So I feel like I wanted to be so many things, but mainly a poet. I think that's been the most consistent thing that stuck with me. Poetry, writing, reading. I always knew that was what I wanted to do in childhood and part of my teens it was an escape but I also felt like it was a calling and then the other thing which is so funny and I actually very recently put two and two together was I think that I've always been meant to like teach or produce knowledge you know share knowledge with people ever since I was a kid (laughs) so there's this there's this one incident I'll never forget so as a kid I loved those conspiracy theory type shows like unsolved mysteries and all of that let me preface with I was in second grade when this happened so just so you know how weird I was as a very young child so there was this episode I don't think it was unsolved mysteries but I think it was the same guy that hosted it back in the 90s like some special and they were talking about an asteroid that was like coming towards the earth and was going to destroy it in a few years or they weren't really sure, but it probably was. And I remember seeing that and I went to school and I started telling all the kids like, yeah, yeah, I saw it. Mm -hmm. It's, it's gonna, it's gonna happen. Like they don't know, but maybe by this year, I probably was scaring those kids because some kind of way it got back to the principal and I got called into the principal's office about it. And she was like, where did you hear that from? Like, why are you telling kids that? So that was a whole thing. But I think I'm still like that. (laughs) Not to that extreme. Obviously, I have more discernment. But I love... Somebody has told me this before. Like, you always know the most random things. Like, you know, it'll... And it, it, it'll be something that you never expect to come up, come up in conversation. I'm like, oh, yeah, one, one night I was I was Googling and I, I found that, yeah, that that's a thing. So, yeah, I think that's connected to where I am now. And I think parts of that are still there with me. So <laughs> what about you? I want to say so much of your childhood is the same. <laughs> same for me. <laughs> But when I was a child, like, I just was like, I want to go out. I want to change the world. And I think that that's like such a huge, but also a vague statement to make. But it was something that I really want to do. And even as an adult, like, I think about my life decisions on like a grand scale of just like, if I do this thing, how will it hurt or harm other people? Or if is this something that I'm going to regret in the future? And I think that like when I was younger, what people told me would help the world was being a lawyer, being a doctor, those sorts of things. But I just, I wasn't feeling it. I was like, no, I think I want to be a writer. And I think like you, I I was like, I think I want to be a teacher because then I could teach and I could write. I could do everything I wanted to do. But as I'm getting older, I'm learning that there are other ways to teach besides being a teacher. Uh, And also that it is possible to write and that be the main thing that you do. Now that coming to that, I think I do have a lot more peace about the work that I do because I don't have a job, but I do a lot of work that I'm proud of. And it kind of gives me anxiety when I have to talk to people and they're like, oh, what kind of job do you have? And I'm like, oh, 
So because they think I don't do anything, but I'm like, I do a lot. I just, (laughs) I don't have a job. I don't have a title and I'm okay with that, but it's it's just hard trying to communicate that to other people. You're a writer, you're a podcaster. Okay. (laughs) And a whole bunch of other stuff, but plant mama. I'm sure there's a technical (laughs) word for people that take care of plants. A gardener, like so many interesting things. Yeah, I think, I I imagine that's awkward. I imagine even for people that are full-time writers and regularly getting paid for it, like I think they probably have the same experience because people are like, you're a writer. That's it? That's that's all you do? I know, especially when you tell people, I want to be a writer, they're like, you can do other things in write. And I'm like, why can't I just write? Yeah. People are audacious with their unsolicited opinions on people's jobs and stuff, but that's a whole nother thing. So I'm wondering what has your inner child work looked like? At first I was like, I don't know, but I think through my writing, especially my fiction, I'm able to grapple with the things, grapple with things from a distance um, by writing these stories about little black girls in Mississippi they're not, you know, autobiographical, but I think there are parts of me, parts of that little girl in the story. Um, I also think ancestral work is a part of my inner child work. So I often, and this has happened in the past, it actually happened last night. I go through these memory loops in my head when I'm at the altar, like when I'm in meditation, a lot of it is past memories. Last night, it was mainly just like memories with my family members that have transitioned that I had some kind of relationship with sometimes it feels worse sometimes it's just like oh they're gone and it just feels like time is moving and who's next but on the flip side of that it's like a reminder of how far we come what my family has survived what what we've been able to hold on to and like you know, a reminder that I have what I need. I have the tools that have been left with me to maintain this legacy, to heal us, but I I can't quit, you know? So I think that's a part of my, I think that is a part of my inner child work um, with working with my lineage and and healing and that kind of thing, if that makes sense. What about you? Yeah, it does make sense. Um, I think something that is important to remember is that inner child work is lifelong. Like anything, you're never fully healed. I know people like to go around being like, I'm healed, but I'm like, okay, girl. Uh, (laughs) You'll always be working on your relationship uh, with that child. But some of the first types of inner child work I did was in therapy. It was in EMDR. I know I've talked about it a few times on here. Um, But my EMDR therapist really encouraged me to go back And to sit in my childhood memories to remember what it was like to be her and, you know, acknowledge her fears, acknowledge her insecurities, acknowledge her joys. And I really did need that. And um, oftentimes it was like when I was visualizing baby me, it, it felt like I was looking at her from a third person. And, you know, I remember when I was younger, I just felt like something was pulling me to like stay alive, to keep going. And I didn't really know what that was. I don't think I even gave it a name when I was younger, but I just felt this urge. And a few months ago, I was listening to the gospel song, I Need You to Survive. I don't know if you've heard that. Okay. Um, Yes. (laughs) I was listening to that and I love it because I'm like, 
every time I think I need you to survive, I think like we can think of other people like, hello, I need you to survive. I need you to keep living or I need you to stay alive so that way I can continue to survive. But I was thinking about that and I was thinking like maybe that presence, maybe that urge that I kept feeling when I was younger was me. Maybe it was me telling baby me, hey, I quite literally need you to survive so that way I can be here. And so I've been thinking, um, I've been thinking a lot about that, a lot about time, a lot about sending myself the love, the care, the protection that she always wanted and that she still wants, you know? And I think that that a lot of how I survived through my childhood is through me, adult me, giving back to baby me. Love it. Yes. <laughs> um, so on something that's not so trippy, uh, I have been revisiting a lot of my childhood photos and my mama, she has this photo album and it has like all of her kids in it, but I decided to start my own photo album and I've been looking back at photos of me when I was younger and it's been, you know, part of me feels kind of sad because I was like, she went through so much. And I remember when I was, I was like four or five, I was being bullied at daycare and people would constantly call me ugly. They would constantly make fun of the way that I looked. And I would look at myself and I was like, I was not an ugly child, but I walked around just feeling like I was ugly. I was undesirable. No one wanted me. No one cared about me. And it, it just makes me feel sad because I, I see the proof and I'm like, no, those things were not true. So mm -hmm. yeah, I think a lot of my inner child work has been like giving my younger self validation and giving her a lot of the things that she needed but couldn't get I love that I look back on my pictures especially as a teenager and I'm just like wow you really let people turn you against yourself you were such a cute girl I mean still I won't say were but you know she was <laughs> cute like what are you talking about your hair was always done particularly in my teens because I was very particular like gotta keep either the braids in or a style like so it's just like she was so cute but she thought that she was just disgusting so yeah so something I wanted to ask you to elaborate on because I saw one of your Twitter rants <laughs> and you were talking about children and you said children aren't resilient but they're resourceful so can you elaborate on that yes I did so I didn't even <laughs> I didn't remember I said that until I saw you want to talk about it. So, yeah, I think that children are really resourceful because they have to be. No one listens to children. That's what I remember from being a child. You are, you don't have any real autonomy over your body or authority to speak up, defend yourselves. Adults can literally say whatever the hell they want to you. You can't defend yourself. Now, I know in this day and age, there are a lot of parents, especially black parents, that are like breaking that cycle. And I think for outsiders, especially people who haven't really grappled with how problematic their own childhood is, they find it jarring. They're like, why would you let your kid talk to you like that? Like you did, you gave them a choice. You're going to eat whatever I cook, you know, things like that. And it's just like, you know, children are humans. They're complicated humans, but they are full humans. They need guidance, but they don't need to be like, dictated to that extent to the point where they can't make any choices for themselves so you know particularly for abused or neglected children children who have just been through particular things 
I think when you're in survival mode and let me preface, I'm speaking from what I remember about my own childhood. You just figure out how to get through each day. A lot of daydreaming about the future, like where you wish you were. That's why I say to my head a lot. I was always thinking about like something else, being somewhere else, imagining myself somewhere else. You learn how to stay out of the way and be silent, even though it doesn't always work, right? Especially if you're being abused, you could just blink wrong, you know, but you learn like harm reduction. <laughs> like, how do I reduce the harm? How do I like, I know I can't completely avoid it no matter how good I am, but how can I like at least avoid the other stuff um, that I can control? And there's a lot of negotiation. And I also want to like stress not all of us survived. You know, we like to say like, we, but we survived. No, not every child survived. Many children that endured poverty, abuse, state violence, such as foster care and that kind of thing, they don't survive. They don't make it out on the other side. And that could be through death. That could be through being incarcerated. Some of us made it to the other side. And some of us are having the opportunity to heal ourselves or work towards our healing. I always say, and you know, if you grew up in the church, your old, your elders, they hate the word luck. Don't use that. That ain't got nothing to do with God. That's the devil. I don't know if it's true, but someone's, someone taught me as a kid that luck came from Lucifer and that's why you don't say it. We'll have to Google it or somebody can send us a message and let me know if that's true. Yes, I have. Let me tell you something. (laughs) The hoops, okay? I do consider myself a lucky child. I was resourceful as far as like figuring out ways to navigate abuse and all of that stuff. But like, I was also lucky, you know, or as my grandma would say, I was blessed. There were certain things that happened in my life that allowed me to be here. There are people that have very similar experiences as me and they are not here. They are not. Some of them ain't even alive. So I I think that thinking about, in, thinking about the liberation of children, I, I know y'all hate that to say that children are oppressed. It's not even just about like autonomy and all. it's about their survival. It's about them living you know, living in and, make, and making it to the other side. Because those of y'all that are all, you know, rah, rah, rah about like, if y'all don't have kids, y'all can't speak on this or kids need to be this, that, and the other. You don't even understand the harm that you're doing to your kids. Even if you're not necessarily like hardcore abusive, not allowing your kids any, uh, any autonomy, like that does have long-term effects on like how they navigate relationships and that kind of thing it's also setting them up for abuse like I've heard many times from therapists and in people of in social workers and people of many different fields like that is that when you don't teach children no especially when you're an adult and you teach them like no I'm an adult so you have to listen to me they're gonna listen to every adult And then you end up with the girls who are being groomed or the children who are being molested and you don't know about it because the adult told them, don't say anything. They're like, oh, this is an adult. Or even (laughs) the people who are like 14 year olds have full autonomy in a quote unquote relationship with a 30 year old. And it's like, no, that child is 14 and they are listening to the adult tell them because you told them adults should be listened to and you can't question them and you have to accept them 
And something else I wanted to talk about was this idea of resilience, because I think a lot of adults, a lot of parents say children are resilient just to excuse the harm that they're doing to children and to make themselves feel better. And a lot of this, I think, can be solved from doing our own inner child work. <laughs> from I've listened to people who say they want to have kids so that way they can raise their kids better than their parents. And it's like, honey, you need to raise yourself better than your parents. Do. You need to do your own inner child work. You don't need to go and bring someone else into the world um, in the hopes that you can be a better parent. It's like you can be a better parent now and you can be a better parent to yourself. I try to tread lightly with the saying, you know, I do say that some people don't need kids and I I don't mean it in a bad way. I think that people are allowed to have children if that's what they desire. But I just, we joke about like how, like, why didn't ask me here? That's something I think about a lot. Like some, no, (laughs) I'm like, I ain't going to speak on nobody else, but my mama didn't. (laughs) She didn't. (laughs) Like, you know what I mean? And like I said, I was lucky, but some kids who went through what I went through with my parent are in foster care and and aged out the system or, you know, like, I just think that we should have start having conversations about like the responsibility of of becoming a parent. And, And again, I don't mean it on no like eugenics type of thing. I just mean that like, there's a cost to this. I think about how like I'd rather adopt because there's so many kids in the foster care system so many and the abuse in the foster care system is like rampant because there's so many and I I don't know if they're just being lenient with who they allow to do it because they don't have nowhere to put these kids but it's just like there's so many kids that have been like abandoned and not given what they need and yes some of that is state violence some of these kids didn't have to be taken away from their parents their parents could have been given the tools that they needed, number one. And so it's like this cyclical thing. And I, and I guess that's why I try to tread lightly with the some people don't need kids. And I said that my mama didn't. My, my mama needed a lot of things that the state couldn't provide for her or, or family and that kind of thing. And so that's part of it. But I still say, like, man, I, I kind of wish that I, we could just control all delete the whole thing so she can like work on herself (laughs) but you know so also unfortunately a lot of people who think long and hard about whether or not to be a parent tend to not have children or have very few and then there's also the case of there are people who do not want to be parents but are forced to be parents reproductive rights like that's part of it too really trying to outlaw abortions the same people trying to do this when it comes to their daughters or their mistresses or whatever they're going to make sure those people can terminate their pregnancies these people aren't even really against abortion especially the men that keep pushing it y'all we know that y'all will use it when it's when it benefits you but you're going to outlaw in your states where all these poor folks are and and then y'all will fucking fly to wherever the fuck to get yours it's it's honestly astonishing at this point. Do you want to take a break? <sighs> yeah, let's take a break because I'm exhausted just thinking about it. Thank y'all for tuning in to our show. If you want to support us, you can rate and review us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. 
You can also follow us on Twitter at Hoodoo Plants and Instagram at Hoodoo Plant Mamas. If you miss us while we're on hiatus, you can always find us on Patreon where we share exclusive monthly mini-sodes. We now have a $3 all-access Patreon tier, which includes a mini-sode, newsletter, and plant content. Also, we have a new patron. Thank you, Sid, and welcome. If you prefer a one-time donation, you can hit us up on Cash App, Cash Tag, who do plant mamas or our PayPal, who do plant mamas at gmail.com. Thank you to Yviela. Hope I pronounced that right for your donation. Let's get back to the show. So there was this term that I came across on TikTok. I forgot who the creator was that I first saw it, but since then I've seen other people talk about it and it's called inner teen. Um, And it's not so much like you do your inner child work. Now you do your inner teen work. It can happen at the same time. And a lot of it is about addressing the specific things that you needed as a teenager and couldn't. And the creator who's, I'll probably put it in the show notes if I can find her. But um, the creator who was talking about this said that you can typically tell whether you're more called to do inner child or inner teen work based on what things you feel called to do in the current moment. And so a question I have for you, Danny, is what were some things that you struggle with as a teenager that's coming up for you as an adult? So many things. Oh my gosh. As a teenager, I needed a hug. I needed someone to listen and be patient with me because I was so like angry Some of my grief work is around that. So what I am acknowledging now is that I was experiencing grief because of all the things that I had lost going into my teens. So like you said earlier, it's it's lifelong because it is, you know, you get those triggers and then some of those old thought patterns resurface. So the I hate you or you're stupid or you're this, that still comes up. And I think now that I'm actually actively working on it in different ways, now it comes up even more. Um, but I understand that I'm not that person anymore. I'm not that person that I'm so disgusted with myself and I hate myself and that kind of thing. But that teenager, <laughs> that angry and, and sad and frustrated teenagers still inside of me and I kind of feel like we're healing together you know it's like ping-ponging back and forth like you're so stupid no I'm not (laughs) that's what it feels like every other day and then sometimes I have really good days where I'm like I feel good oh you look cute you're you know you're so smart da 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 and then some days it's you're so cute no you're not you're ugly No, I'm not. <laughs> so yeah, so yeah, it's it's a it's a journey. So that's where I am. For me, when I was a teenager, I I think we talk a lot about men and how they were taught to close off their emotions, but I was also encouraged to do that too. And I don't know if it's true for like all women, but I think it could be true for black women. Um, in particular, like I was often shamed and embarrassed to show uh, my feelings, which was why I turned to poetry. And I have a whole like book of all the poetry I wrote as a teenager. I have a few books of the poetry I wrote as a teenager. (laughs) Um, But like as an adult, that's manifested in my struggle to tend to my emotional self-care. I 
when I was in therapy, I was talking to my therapist about self-care because I was doing the things people were telling me to do. Like I was exercising, I was eating fruits and veggies, I was meditating, but I just didn't feel like, I didn't feel full. And so what we learned was I was intending to my emotional self-care and a lot of that blockage was due to me as a teen feeling like emotions were childish. Um, And in order for me to be an adult, I had to go put those emotions away. And so as an adult, that has manifested in me like watching cartoons, which I absolutely love. And also cartoons are really good at storytelling. Yes, I love cartoons. (laughs) I literally binged watch Scooby-Doo a few minutes ago, like not a few minutes ago, (laughs) a few months ago. And I was in it. I binge watched She-Ra last month and it was the same thing. I was like, I did not expect this show to be this. Like, I don't expect cartoons to be that good because even adult cartoons, they're kind of like the storytelling is is very episodic. Whereas in things like She-Ra or Hilda, it's it's a serial um, podcast or not podcast. It's a serial (laughs) cartoon. But um, I've been doing that. And I've also been reading Young Adult. I recently read Legendborn. And in it, the main character, at the beginning, her mom dies. So she she's dealing with grief. She's dealing with this transition. She just started college. She's dealing with these new boys. She's dealing with, like, acceptance and belonging. And it, it was all of these feelings that I had as a teenager. Um, and I'm watching this. I guess when I was a teenager, I was reading Young Adult, I felt like I was the main character. But now, <laughs> as an adult, I'm looking at the 16-year-old, I'm like, girl. <laughs> I'm looking at her like, somebody needs to help this girl out because she just... <laughs> but um, it has just been, it's been like such an emotional roller coaster, and it's been fun and I've really enjoyed it. And I'm so excited about that. <laughs> watching cartoons or even watching shows that you watched in your childhood can be cathartic right now um I like to watch a lot of 90s shows like black sitcoms right now I'm watching the parenthood I've been watching for the last couple of weeks on HBO Max I'm on season five (laughs) it can get very you know the Cosby show very respectability and kind of cringy but I always remind myself that was the time that was the day and age, but it's mostly good and funny. Um, but this question that I had specifically about entertain, I love that term. What ways do you think you specifically, now I know you talked a little bit about some things that you do like watching cartoons, but like what are other ways you specifically heal your entertain, like intentionally or maybe not, maybe it just happens. Um, something that I have really enjoyed doing. So I'm at the house by myself most of the week. And so what I do is I blast like alternative rock music in my house (laughs) and I sing along. Yeah. (laughs) Cause like, (laughs) cause growing up alternative rock music, my mama, at least she would always call it white people's music. And so I was always kind of ashamed to listen to, I kind of listened to it like, in my little, my little MP3 player. (laughs) Um, And so over the years, I've seen like other black people talk about their love for people like Demi Lovato, Kelly Clarkson, Paramore, Shinedown, and how they all had this phase. And part of me kind of wonders, like, were they attracted to this, this type of music? Because like, 
a lot of it is kind of like a screaming type of music. And I'm like, is it because like we weren't really allowed to scream and stuff? And this was like an outlet for us or which I always think is weird that like out of all the people in the world who are not encouraged to scream, why is it black people? Because we are the ones that need it. <laughs> but not only that, like in a lot of this alternative rock music, it was one of the few places where people actively question their parents. Like Shine Down Second Chance was all like, I know I'm your child, but I'm not like a reflection of you. I'm my own person. I'm meant to go my own way. I have my own life to live. And I really needed that. And um, Kelly Clarkson, because of you, that whole like song and music video is like the epitome of inner child, inner teen work. And Kelly Clarkson talks about like the patterns that she's developed, that she inherited from her um, parents. And how that's coming up in her life and all the limitations she has around her life is due to the fears that her parents had. And it's just like, I didn't really see a lot of that in, in black music, but it was in these like alternative spaces that I got to see and experience that. And now I'm revisiting those and I'm being like, there was a reason why I was drawn to this. Um, and just, again, just validating that experience for me. Yeah, a lot of people, even beyond music, a lot of us like to glamorize our parents' struggles or that kind of thing, or glamorize the neglect and say, well, she, you know, my mama was working and doing what she had to do, or my parents were doing this, so they weren't home a lot, but we had everything we needed. I remember, do you remember in Tupac's song, Dear Mama, where he said something about his mama making his brother into a crack baby. I don't remember that. Yeah, <laughs> it, it wasn't in a bad way. It was just, just talking about, now I don't know if this is true because I think people forget like Tupac was like, went to, I don't know if it was Juilliard, but he went to like an art school. Like he was very much trained with a lot of like art stuff, but I don't know what his childhood really was like because apparently some of the stuff was just made up for for marketing but I remember hearing that and I was like why would he say that about his mama but at the same time children are living through their parents drug addiction like we know what was going like we know what was going on during that time we know it's not all on the parents right like it was a problem but kids yeah they should be allowed to say like this hurt like it hurt when my mom was doing this it hurt when my mom went to jail and we were left to be in foster care and da 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 so I see that that song differently because he wasn't shaming his mama or meant it in a bad way the song was beautiful it always makes me cry but there was some this is what it was like and but I love my mama and I understand that what you was going through and we was going through it with you so yeah I think that's the song that I think about about low-key honoring the like nuance of that parent-child relationship for me as far as the um entertain work that I see kind of happening and I didn't think about it being entertain work until you well until yeah until you mentioned this idea of entertain so I think a lot of mine is like self-esteem stuff, working with my self-esteem. I'm sure I've said this in some past episodes. That's how you know I'm really, I'm really invested. 
So, you know, people are always up in arms about Lizzo and seeing her booty. Some days I get on Instagram. I love Lizzo's booty, but sometimes I'm like, girl, it's too early. I'm going to just scroll scroll and come back to this because it's a lot right now. But for other people, it's just them being fat phobic. But you know how like she does those videos where she's looking back at it and just like, you know, honoring her body and, you know, letting y'all know I'm that bitch. That's exactly what I do every day in the mirror. Every time I get out the shower or before I get in the shower, I look at my body or I say, okay, it's it's getting there. The booty is coming. You know, I come, my booty is just going to grow simply off the strength of me complimenting every day. I don't know if it's actually grown or if it's me being delusional, but I don't care. (laughs) And I have to say that maybe yesterday, I just started thinking about how like the way I see my body has genuinely changed. Not that I'm not, I still fat shame myself sometimes, right? I still say like, look at your stomach, da, 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 da. But most of the time, like I can look at myself and just be like, no, you got it. You thick, like, yes, it's giving hips, it's giving purr, like, you know, this is actually completely fine. And I never, (laughs) I never thought I would be here. I remember a lot of plus size women that I've either talked to or seen on the internet, they would say, yeah, I honestly just started saying it. Like I just started saying it to myself and wearing this and wearing that. And I used to think like, that's not never going to be the case for me, you know? And I thought it was kind of cheesy too. And now I'm doing it and it does actually work. It's not like an overnight thing. And it's definitely not a like, you don't never feel insecure. or You don't never be feeling like, oh, I'm bad, I'm this, whatever. But admiring my, my body, you know, and being like, I see you, you know, that helps. And it's just me. It's in my house. I even wear things sometimes in my house that I'm sure I will wear out in public at some point. But for me, it's like even wearing it around my house is like baby steps and helpful. So yeah. And then the other thing that I'm think I'm actively tussling with in my late teens transitioning to adulthood, something very traumatic happened to me with like school. And so I always was smart. Like one thing as much as I didn't like my physical self, I always held on to the fact that I'm smart. I'm this, I'm that, like I can do it. I want to be a doctor. I want to do this. And something happened where ever since then, I got to a point in my life where I stopped thinking I was smart. Like I I stopped. I was like, you're not, you're not that smart. You're never going to be nothing. That's something that comes to me a lot. Like I still sometimes feel like I'm not a very smart or intelligent person. Even if I talk like I think I'm no stuff, you know? And so that work, I think, is actually going to be really hard. And I do, I think that's legitimately inner teen work because it, it's a trauma that happened in my teens and young adulthood. You know what I mean? Um, and so that's something that I don't, you know, I actually don't have the answers to how I navigate that. Some of it is telling myself I'm smart or you're brilliant or reminding myself when people say that about me. But that's an example of what I don't know what I'm doing at that point. You know, that's something that I'm actively trying to figure out. But yeah. Same. I also have like something I'm still working on when it comes to inner teen work. Like when I look back, at teen me she was a lot freer than I am um despite everything that had happened in her life she was still so open to the world 
so open to other people. And when I look at her, I'm like, girl, don't you know that's how you get hurt? And it's it's hard for me to to open myself up in that way again. Like I've done such a good job of <laughs> protecting myself um, from that harm, but I miss not having walls. I miss, you know, feeling every emotion under the sun. I miss the freedom and the warmth of being open to whatever life had to offer me. But after so much loss, logically, I'm like, it would be silly. It would not be smart of me to be that open again. But I think that that's like, that's literally the way that we should be living open and free to the world. But I'm just so afraid that I'm going to get got if I do it. <laughs> oh, I feel that. I think that's wrapped up in my thing with like romantic stuff with the whole like, ooh, don't surrender. One thing that I <laughs> wanted to touch on that I forgot to mention when you were talking about Black women and repressing our feelings I don't remember who it was, but I know that I was a teenager and, and maybe I was grown, but I was young. And somebody told me that I I wore my feelings on my sleeves, right? And I remember that I was very insecure about that for a long time, but that wasn't true. What you saw, you thought were my feelings, what my feelings really were, you did not see. Assuming that you you know what somebody is feeling on the surface, like even calling people angry, right? As a teenager, I say that I was angry because I was, but people saw that as just like me being a bratty teenager or, or mean or whatever. And I was really just like devastated and sad and heartbroken, you know, but people don't see that. And so like reading into that or somebody telling me that I wear my feelings on my sleeve because I look sad sometimes that's not my feelings. My feelings are so much more layered and complicated than what you're trying to project onto me. And I wish that I could, you know, wear my real feelings on my sleeve. I wish that I could let it out. You know what I mean? So yeah, that's what I was thinking about when you mentioned that earlier. I forgot to say it. So I wanted us to kind of end on a happy note. <laughs> this is kind of cheesy because I don't know if we've ever said, you know, talked about this before, but let's just do it anyway. If you could go back in time, what's one thing you tell your 13-year-old self or what's a piece of advice you'd offer them? Um, I would tell her that this is this is your life. You make the rules. Live your life how you want to live it. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> For me, I would just say that I love you and it's going to be okay. Like it's going to get better. Even if you don't believe it's going to get better. Woo. You has an older person or like somebody that was a little bit older than you ever told you as a teenager was going to get better. Yes. <laughs> I used to be like, you full of shit. Like it's never going to get better. Like, what are you talking about? But it does. It really, really does. It does. Get better. Even, you know, it doesn't get easier, but it gets better so that's what I and I give her a big hug I hug her for like I don't know an hour or something she just <laughs> she just needed a hug yeah I want to have an episode this is season finale so we can go a little off the rails I want to have an episode on intimacy mm-hmm. and maybe we should read that book that I, I keep that I keep hearing about this book and I have not read it yet the spirit of intimacy I think Juju recommended it Yes, that's where I heard it from the first time. But yeah, I want to talk about that because I don't know about you, but that's something that I feel like I didn't get enough of in childhood. Like I think, 
I think there's a point, and I don't know if it's a cultural thing, because some people do grow up in houses where there's a lot of touch and intimacy, like healthy intimacy. For me, I always think about, like, there was a point where I just feel like I, people, like people and my grandma didn't hug me as much. I just didn't get a lot of, like, physical touch that ended up making me averse to physical touch for a really long time. Particularly in college was when it started getting called out where people would be like, why you always, why you so stiff? Why you want, you know, particularly men too would get really up in arms about like, why you giving me that church hug? Like, first of all, you should be glad you did this. Oh my gosh. They used to get so mad. There were, oh no. What, what pissed them off about it wasn't that just that it was a side hug. It was this little pat. I don't know if I still do it, but it was like a little, and I think some people seen it as passive aggressive. Like, you know how like when somebody really don't want to hug you and they say, oh, okay. That wasn't why I was doing it. It was literally just a habit. And so they would be like, what's with that? What's that little pet? Like, no, nah, you think. <laughs> it was like, y'all don't even know trauma when you see it. Just go, just go away. So I really want to talk about intimacy and touch but yeah I just wanted to put that out there I loved if y'all have any thoughts about that because y'all be having opinions y'all be messaging us sometimes with (laughs) ideas so I'd love to even if you have a recommendation for a good person to talk to or a book we should read and talk about let us know all right well any final thoughts since it's the season finale about the season or how you feel or um, <laughs> I'm gonna say this season was probably like the least planned out of all of our seasons but I'm also very proud with the stuff that we come came up with this season and the work that we've done I agree it's it's a little shorter too maybe than other seasons but mm-hmm podcasting is a lot and I'm sure y'all are slowly seeing the kind of shift with podcasters of either being bi-weekly or you know decreasing the content the free content and upping the paid content because it is a lot of work it's a lot of emotional labor financially you know some stuff be having to come out of pocket not so much with us now we but at first um, but also, you know, people should get paid for their labor. We do, you know, with a lot of this stuff, we are reading and doing research, mostly Leah. I seen this, <laughs> no, I seen this tweet that was so funny. And I know you said like you thought about somebody else, but it was like something about being a pot the podcaster. When, when there's yeah, two it's podcasters. Like their dream job. <laughs> oh, their dream job is being the podcaster that didn't do the reading, but is basically like reacting to the person, the yeah. co-host that did all the research. <laughs> and I feel like that's me a lot, but we still both doing, you know, doing it, working and all that stuff. So we, yeah, we'll be back better than ever after this hiatus. We tired. We, yes. you know. <laughs> You know, and we and we're both in transition in different ways, I think. Like, you know, so hopefully we'll come back a lot more energized and ready to give y'all some like beautiful things with with some wonderful guests. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited about the people because we made, you know, we've connected with some people since doing the podcast or finding out that certain people follow us or support our podcast. So um yeah 
So I look forward to our next season in a couple of months. Same. So <laughs> if you like this episode, you can like, rate, and review Who Do Plant Mamas on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. If anything from the show resonates with you, Make sure to share it with us on social media. You can find us at Twitter at Hoodoo Plants and Instagram at Hoodoo Plant Mamas. Thank y'all for another season. Until next time. Bye. Bye.